Mark chapter 3 tonight, Mark chapter number 3, and uh, we are coming here to Mark 3, and we're going to see verse number 16, but obviously we're going to dive a little bit more into the context and see a message I've entitled, Men Who Changed the World, Men Who Changed the World, Men Who Changed the World. The Bible tells us in verse number 16, in Simon, he surnamed Peter. Now that verse right there, I could just stop right there and preach a whole series of sermons right there on Peter. The Bible has a lot to say about Peter, has a whole bunch to say about the apostle Peter and how he lived his life. We could go from uh, all the way back here from Mark chapter number three, all the way through the gospels to all the way to the end of John chapter number 21 and see how Peter uh, was there at the end and he went a fishing and he influenced six other disciples to go with him. Uh, Then we see him in the upper room and uh, we see Peter preaching at Pentecost. So just that verse alone uh, is, a, is really a, a very loaded verse. But he goes on and says, And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed um, Boanerges, uh, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into a house, and the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. We come to a very crucial passage in our Bibles, because here we find... 12 men that God is going to use to begin to change the entire landscape of the world. Obviously, Judas, we understand, is the traitor, Iscariot, that is. And uh, we know that uh, even him, God uh, was going to work for his own benefit so that Jesus Christ would be betrayed and the scriptures would be fulfilled in that sense. And even from there on. He would go on to be crucified, but rise again from the dead. But these are people, these are 12 men, 11 if you will, uh, that turned the world upside down. Whenever the gospel came to Thessalonica, the people there said this, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. <laughs> Think about that. The guys that's turned the world upside down, starting back in Jerusalem, they've come here. I mean, uh, what are we going to do about this? Uh, these were men that it was said of them that if you fought against these guys, you were fighting against God. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 39 says, but it, if it be of God... You cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found to fight even against God. Even in another place, Paul is being on the trial, is on the stand, and he mentions that he was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees rose up, and they said, we find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Uh, These men were seen in a different light after Pentecost, obviously, but In Matthew chapter number 10, in verse number 1, the Bible says that these men, these 12 disciples, and I believe when it says the 12 disciples, I believe Judas Iscariot was included in this right here. But they were able to uh, have power against unclean spirits, cast them out. 
They were able to heal all manner of sicknesses and all manner of disease. In another place, the Bible teaches us that they were able even to raise the dead. These are who God used, men that did miracles, cast out devils, healed the sick. These are men that wrote the Bible, the 12 disciples. Not all of them did, of course, but many of them did. Matthew did. John did. John wrote four, five books of the Bible. John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation. You have Paul. I'll talk more about that in a moment. You have Peter, James, and Jude. Now, some vary on those kinds of things, but I believe that James, who wrote the book of James, was the man here in our Bibles. Uh, James the Lesser, or James the son of Alphaeus, and also Jude, uh, the no, not Judas, but the fellow named Jude, uh, was also the man, not Iscariot, that also wrote the book of Jude. These men were persecuted, they were killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus even tells us about these men. He says they will actually one day judge the 12 tribes of Israel sitting upon thrones. And Jesus said unto them in Matthew 19, 28, that verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The Bible says that these men are the foundation of our faith. Their teachings are. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, but Ephesians 2.20 says, and you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And then in Revelation, we have a very curious thing that is said about these men. It says in Revelation 21.14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, speaking of heaven, speaking of that great city, that new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. He says, and there's, in those foundations was in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Think about that. These men have their names inscribed upon the foundational walls of New Jerusalem that comes out of heaven. I would say they're pretty important fellows, wouldn't you? Sitting up, on sitting up on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, doing all these kinds of things. These are men that the Bible says in Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. These are men in whom we are established in, and we are to continue in the doctrine that they taught us. And so we're going to see here at the end of the night's lesson what is left for us to do. This will be, we'll see in just a moment, that we ought to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Who are these men? Now, do you know the 12 disciples, 12 apostles? Uh, let's just go ahead and list them for you. Uh, there was a guy named Simon, whose also name was Peter. And Jesus changed his name in that sense. Maybe his name wasn't changed. Some people that think that was his name already. But uh, Jesus called him by the name Peter. Uh, he was also called Cephas in another place. He's known by... This is very, very unique in uh, Jewish times. You will find that many people are called by many different names. Some people might have as many as three different names. Uh, Paul was called Saul at one, some, some t at one time. Some people think, well, uh, his name was changed to Paul. Most likely not. Most likely he had a name Saul, a Jewish name. He had Paul, also a, uh, a Greek name. Uh, so uh, people had different names. They had three, maybe three different names. And this is very common with Jewish literature. Just look at how many names God has himself. 
All right? I mean, just think about that for a moment. How many names does God have? He has, I don't even know how many there are. There are so many names that you can describe God. Just think of Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 6. I believe there's seven names of God just in that one verse. So, uh, so it's not unusual that these people would have different names. You have Andrew, who's also um, Peter's brother. You have James, the son of Zebedee. And you have John, the son of Zebedee. And he is the brother of James. So you've got two brothers in the mix here, John and James, right there. Uh, James, to give you a little New Testament history, is the one that's killed by Herod. He's killed by Herod. Uh, James is, that's John's brother. Philip, not the deacon that you find in Acts chapter number 6. You have a different Philip. He's the guy that asked Jesus that question in uh, John chapter number 14. Uh, and uh, he asked him, show us the Father if it sufficeth us. And Philip, and he looks at him and rebukes him. He says, how long have I been with you, Philip, and you do not know the Father? Um, so that's Philip. You have Bartholomew. Uh, there's a lot of debate on Bartholomew. Who is Bartholomew? I personally believe that he's Nathaniel. Again, a person with two different names right here. Uh, why do you think he's Nathaniel? John chapter number 1, John chapter number 21. Nathaniel's called to be a disciple of the Lord. Philip brings him to him. He's the guy that was sitting underneath the fig tree. He also goes with the other disciples to go fishing. Uh, he's found many different times in John's gospel. Uh, you have Thomas. Uh, what's Thomas known for? Anybody want to take a guess here and say it out loud? Doubting. Yeah, he's known for doubting. And uh, we all know that about Thomas. Matthew, anybody know anything about Matthew? Tax, yeah, the publican, the tax collector. Um, uh, his name, see, he had another name too. His name was Levi. Levi. Uh, so you, get a, you might be reading through your New Testament. You're going, who is Levi? You know what I mean? But I thought Matthew was a, and you can, well, I thought there were 12 apostles. It looks like there's about 15 or 16. I mean, how many of these guys are there? A lot of them just have different names. Uh, you have to kind of uh, connect the dots. And then you have another set of brothers, James and Judas. James, the son of Alphaeus. Um, this is also, I believe, known sometimes as James the Lesser. And he is actually, in Acts chapter 15, James is the leader of the Jerusalem church. Peter is not the leader of the Jerusalem church. He does not have the final say-so whenever Paul and Barnabas come back. Afterwards, James is actually the one that makes the final decision on what to do with the Gentiles and how to handle the situation. Peter gives his thoughts, Paul and Barnabas give their thoughts, and James gives the final, final say-so on it. And so it seems like that James was the leader there in the Jerusalem church. The other James had already since passed away, so we know it wasn't him. I believe this man to be also the writer of the book of James. I have no proof on that, by the way. All right, so uh, there's three different James in the Bible, and it could be either one, all three of them. So I have no proof on that, but that is just what I believe. All right, Judas also. Now, here's Judas, again, multiple name guy. He's also called Labius and Thaddeus. All right, uh, he... I believe, wrote the book of Jude. Again, I have no proof on that, all right? But anyhow, then you have Simon, another Simon in here. He's called Simon the Canaanite sometimes, or Simon Zelotes, or Simon the Zealot is what he's called. Um, what, it was a, what was a zealot? Why was he called this? He was called a Canaanite, perhaps because he was from the country of Cana. I don't believe that he was a Gentile, uh, but... 
Uh, he was also called a zealot because he was a part of a particular sect in Jerusalem or in that in, among the Jews that would be zealous. They came, they came after a name, man named Phineas. And these men uh, were so zealous that if they found anybody that had committed murder, that had committed adultery, uh, that had broken any of the laws that commanded death, they would immediately kill them. And uh, they were called zealots. And uh, what ended up happening was that the zealots actually killed uh, and hurt a lot of people that were unjustly. And they did it in the name of Jehovah. Nonetheless, this is just kind of the bunch that he gets. And then you've got Judas Iscariot, who's also the traitor. And then you've got, so what happens with Judas? What's the deal here? You've got 11 apostles. Uh, Judas kills himself because he betrays the Lord. Um, Is it Matthias? Is he the next apostle on the list according to Acts chapter number 1? Well, I believe personally that it is that Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, is the replacement of Judas. And the reason I believe that is because in Acts chapter number 9 and verse number 6, Jesus is the one that personally calls out Paul. And when you look at these qualifications of all of these apostles, they all have three particular qualifications, and that is this, is that they were all commissioned to give a message. They were all endued with signs and gifts, and they were all eyewitnesses of the resurrection. So Paul fits all three of those. He was called personally by Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. He, he was able to perform signs and gifts and miracles, and then also he was an eyewitness of the resurrection on several different occasions. So what about these apostles? Where are they at today? Well, technically speaking, you can call somebody an apostle. Technically speaking. Do you know Barnabas was called an apostle? Um, Barnabas was called an apostle. There were some other men that were called apostles. You can call somebody an apostle. There's nothing wrong with that term. All it means is you're sent out. That's all it means. You're sent out. Sent out, commissioned to go preach the gospel in an apostle. You could say, that guy's an apostle of barbecue. Uh, you could say he's sent out to go tell people about barbecue. I mean, you can, tell, you can use the word apostle just like you can use the word Bible for anything. You got the, you got the barbecue Bible out there. I mean, you can, use, you can use those terms interchangeably. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but as far as being a true ordained apostle, there is nobody else around. And the, probably the last one to die off was John. It doesn't seem like there was any more uh, apostles after this. So why is this important to us today? Why is Mark chapter 3 verse number 16 and the rest of it, why, why such a crucial passage? Why, why even bring it out? Why is it vitally important to us? Um, the reason is this. Why even learn about these men? You say, Pastor, is there going to be a test in heaven? You know, I was just talking to Zach. He had this, you know, big test to go fly a plane and all these kinds of things and all these tests. And are we going to have a test in heaven one day? All right, we're going to sit down and Jesus is going to be like, okay, write down 12 apostles and 12 tribes of Israel, all right? Is that what's going to happen? I don't know. There might be. You better be ready for it. I mean, I don't know. There might be a test. I have no idea what's going to be in heaven, okay? 
But I'm not saying that so that you could be having a test. But nonetheless, these men are very important uh, for three particular reasons. And that is this, that we are told specifically to remember what they say. Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 1, this is the second epistle, beloved, I write unto you to stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Peter himself actually kind of includes that in there, and he kind of makes it sound like we're the apostles. There's nobody else. <laughs> There's you're not going to be looking for anybody else that is an apostle. We're it. And in our book of Jude, the Bible says, in Jude 1.17, he says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're told specifically two times in our New Testament to remember their words. That's why they're important. We're told to remember what they said. Secondly, as I've already read to you in Acts 2.42, the early church continued daily in the apostles' doctrine. That's where they stayed at. They didn't vary off from that. They continued to teach and to preach and to grow in the apostles' teaching and preaching that they had given and shared unto them. That was the early church's way in which they did it. And so their way in which they did it should help us to see that is the way in which we should go too. Some people write off some of the apostles. They say, well, Paul was this or Peter was this. And, and you cannot do that. These men were chosen of God and we must learn everything that they have told us. We must put them into our minds. We must remember what they say. We must learn about them. We must continue in those things and never stop learning what the apostles have taught us, what this New Testament has taught us from the very beginning to the very end. And then thirdly, a third reason is this. Go over your Bibles to Ephesians chapter number 2. We're told to remember. We're told to continue. Ephesians chapter number 2. He says in verse number 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God. He's telling us that, he started writing to the Ephesians, that you guys are part of the church of God, you're part of the household of the Lord, you're not strangers and foreigners anymore, you Gentiles are not a, a Gentile people, you're common, you're, you're, you're not common anymore, you're together, we're all one. And then look what he says. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. In whom also you are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now I'm not writing off the prophets here. Don't get me wrong here. That's just not my context of the message. The point of the message here tonight is to dealing with these apostles. So we're told to remember, we're told to continue, but we're also told that we're founded, our faith is founded upon what they taught. What they taught. He said, I thought it was what Jesus taught. Yes, it is what Jesus taught. But 
who wrote down what Jesus said? The apostles did. The apostles did. Who wrote down what Jesus wanted us to hear? The apostles did. What God wanted us to learn in the New Testament, what, the, what God wanted us to uh, learn about the church, who did he use? He used an apostle. And so we must realize that our faith is foundational, it's founded upon what they taught. We have the apostles, we see what makes them apostles, we see why these truths are vitally important to us today, but what are you and I going to do with all of this? Turn your Bibles to Jude chapter number 1 and verse number 3. When I was first going through some of these things and I read 3.16, I thought, you know, Peter surnamed, he, he named, or excuse me, Simon, he, he named Peter. I thought, you know, I'm going to preach something on Peter. I was thinking all the things that Peter did. I was thinking about how he said things he shouldn't said, how he said things he could he did say that were right and good, and how at times he was just on fire for the Lord. But then I got to this verse here in Jude 1 in verse number 3, where he says, he says, Beloved, he's speaking to Christians. When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why does this apply to me today? Why learn about the apostles? Why learn about what they said? Why learn about all the things that they did? Why learn about and remember these things? Is because we're cautioned today to continue in these things. We are the believers that are in Christ. We're to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. By who? How was our faith delivered unto us? How was our faith given unto us? How did we get what we believe today? How did we get it? We got it from the apostles. It came from here. It came from the word. It came from them. The apostles are the ones that deliver to us the faith that we possess today. The apostles are the ones that handed down our faith to us. Our faith in Christ. They were the ones that taught these things to us. Think about this. The apostles were the ones that followed Christ, were the ones that were with Christ. They learned from Christ. They heard from Christ, and they wrote it down. They preached his word. They gave it to the church, and the church has continued in that word for nearly the last two millenniums. And Now, that should blow all of our minds when you really think about that. That the church of the living God has stood around for almost 2,000 years basing what they said off of basically 12 guys and their testimony. That's, that's, that's phenomenal. Think about it. I mean, what 12 people have had more impact upon the whole entire world than the apostles? 
It just, it's just amazing to think about. We can think about maybe one person that has a, a great impact upon society, but to think about 12 people working cohesively together to change and impact a whole entire, not just society, not just a culture, but in the entire world has been completely, dramatically changed because of the Apostles' Doctrine. And what are we doing about it? What are we remembering from it? Are we continuing on it? Are we earnestly contending for it? That might be our next question to ask. It's left to us now. Because as I said, the apostles aren't here anymore. James and John are gone, okay? I think John, some think that John lived to be maybe 95 years old. He was an old guy, okay? But he's gone. He's gone. And what's left? Their doctrine, their teachings. And God in his grace has left it for us. How's that going? Well, according to the recent statistics that I just read, that only 11% of millennials attend church on a weekly basis. 9% of Gen Z are regular churchgoers. And both generations are twice as likely to be atheists as their previous generations. How's that going for the church? If we say what the apostles taught, that doesn't matter. What they taught us and what those things, if we want to pick and choose, what, then we are completely ignorant to what's going on in our society and what was going on in the church. It shows, that just, it shows to us that the generation coming up is the very reason that why many have not paid attention to the apostles' doctrine. They haven't listened to it. They haven't gone after it. And if we don't care what the apostles taught, then there is a lack of deep understanding of where the church is going to be at in 50 years from now if we don't start caring about what they taught us. These men were highly regarded and important to God. God chose them. Now listen to me here. I don't know why God chose them. Okay? I have no reason to tell you why God chose these men. I don't know. They were all just men. They were flawed sinners just like you and me. They had bad mouths. They doubted. They fought. They were jealous. They were haters. Some of them were murderous. But all in all, they were just people, right? There was nothing special about them except that God, in His great grace, chose these men separated them to unto himself, and then pushed them out into the world to preach his gospel. In his infinite wisdom, he chose them to give his church his doctrines. Now they're left, now they're gone, now it's up to us to carry those same doctrines on. How can you and I be a part of this? What is going to be your response? Well, look here at our text. It says in verse number 3, he said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... I would tell you three things tonight in closing. That is simple. Number one, keep salvation in mind. Keep salvation in mind. Keep it in your heart. Keep it close by. The word keep means to guard in our, in our Bibles. Jude is saying, I've made haste with this, la- with this letter. I gave diligence. The word diligence is the word speed, where we get our word speed from. He wrote it with great speed. He wrote it in great haste. It's not very long, obviously. It's only one chapter. He says, but I wrote it in great speed of this common or shared salvation. 
This is a gospel I've been writing to you about and that you should know about, a gospel that is effectual unto all that will believe. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. He said, don't forget about this common salvation. It's common. It's to everybody. There's not a Jew or not to just a Gentile, not to just a barbarian or Scythian or Crete or to man or to woman. It's to everybody. The salvation that he's talking about here is the salvation that Peter preached at Pentecost. It's the salvation that Paul brought to the Gentile world. It's the salvation that John detailed in his uh, gospel. But as Jude expresses to us very obviously here in our, in our text here, and we don't have time to go through every single one of these, but there, is, there are people that are trying to change the gospel. And they're trying to change salvation. And what's interesting to me is that Jude is writing to us as a first century Christian, and he's saying it was happening then. In fact, he was even kind of pointing it out that there are even some people in the church that are looking like this. There are even some people that are in the church that are doing some of these things. He said, you've got to be careful to contend for the common salvation. Keep common salvation in mind. He tells them that there's some that are trying to change what salvation means. They're trying to change it to mean it means to work for your salvation. Man, how many are talking about work salvation? So many people. So many people. Uh, some have changed salvation to concern worshiping an idol or praying to a saint. That's what salvation is. It, it's all about praying to this saint and to this person and uh, to this uh, particular statue. Some have made salvation out to be a free pass of a licentious lifestyle. They said you can just live however you want to live, do whatever you want to do. That was happening in the book of Jude. He said this is what's happening here. Be careful. Watch out for this. Don't lose your common salvation. Don't lose out on it. Don't forget about it. Some have made the gospel so inclusive and almost so common that it means you can be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want to do just as long as you say, one, two, three, pray with me. Or just because you ascribe yourself as a particular denomination. Folks, no wonder people are leaving churches by the masses. Any salvation that doesn't save you from anything is no salvation at all. Any salvation that doesn't save you from anything is not a salvation. Why does the world want to come into a church... That is not telling them anything that they're to be saved from. Or they're going to look just like them. Or they're going to be just like them. My friend, we need to preach a gospel that is completely and totally and entirely different from what the world is teaching and preaching out here. We need a gospel that is the common salvation that is to all of us that believe. We need to keep in mind the common salvation. Secondly, we need to contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith. He says that here in verse 3. He says, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. I had to do this. I must do this. The word contend here means to agonize over. 
It means to agonize over. In fact, it actually means a little bit more than that. It's, it's actually to over-agonize is what it really means. To agonize upon something. To really focus in and think about things. Dwell on things. You ever heard somebody say that to you? Maybe you had a problem in your life and they say, hey, just don't dwell on it. Right? You ever had a bad play in a sports? You ever played sports before and you had a bad, bad play and your coach says, hey, don't dwell on that. Don't think on that. Hey, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Next, next pitch. Next, next, next play. Don't worry about it. Don't dwell on that. Don't think on that. Come on. No, he's saying dwell on it. Earnestly contend for the faith. This is going to sound rot radical, but the gospel is radical. The gospel is about a man who is a Jew that was born 2,000 years ago to a virgin who lived in obscurity for 30 years. And then for the last three years of life, of his life, he preached that he is God and there's no salvation found in anybody but him. He dies on a cross and then people say that he rises three days from the dead. That's pretty radical, okay? All right, you ever heard it like that? <laughs> That's a radical thing to believe, okay? But no matter how radical it is, it's the truth. If you told somebody 200 years ago that you'd fly in a plane like a bird, they'd look at you like you're crazy too, you know? But it happened because it's the truth and it can't happen because we see it today. And one of these days, people that don't believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be unpleasantly surprised whenever Jesus Christ comes again because he is coming again. But if you believe the gospel, you're a radical. And so Jude is saying to you and to me, now contend like you're a radical. This is why I'm saying, this is going to sound a little radical here, but let me ask you this. Do you ever agonize over the gospel as much as you agonize over your children or your finances or your job? I mean, just think about that. He says, over-agonize upon it. Think about it. Don't stop thinking about it. Contend for the faith. I'm not saying you don't agonize over your kids. I'm not saying that. But do you agonize over the gospel? Do you think about the gospel? Do you dwell upon the gospel? Do you think about salvation? Do you earnestly contend for the, the faith that was once delivered unto the saints? Do you dwell on the gospel? Do you dwell on the gospel and its impacts that it's making upon your life? How it's changing your life. Do you think to yourself sometimes, is the gospel changing me? I mean, it, the gospel shouldn't have just changed you when you got saved. The gospel should continually be changing you. It should be forming you. The Bible says, and be, uh, be not conformed to this word, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. The renewing. What does renewing mean? It means consistently, always, don't stop, don't quit. It's like a remodel project, okay? Uh, God is very gracious to us many times and that he doesn't come into our lives many times with a wrecking ball and kind of just plow over our lives, right, whenever we get saved. Uh, God is very gracious and he comes to our lives in different ways, in different compartments, and he says, let me work here, let me work over here, let me work with this part, let me work with this part, let me work with this part, because none of us are perfect, amen? You following me tonight? None of us are perfect. And God, like the children's song says, he's still working on me. What, right? To make me what I ought to be. That's what God's doing in us. 
Do we dwell on that? Do we think to ourselves, how am I doing? How am I holding up? What am I doing? Is God transforming me? Am I renewing my mind? But also, are you dwelling and thinking upon how the gospel is having an effect upon other people's lives? Am I being a good enough witness? Am I telling other people like I ought to? Am I, telling, am I earnestly contending for the faith? Or is the gospel or the faith that we have that was once delivered in the saints, is it more like a crutch that we pick up whenever we get hurt? Is it more just like a prayer that we pray whenever it's a bad time? Is the faith that we earnestly contend for, is it just something we do on Sundays? Because that's not agonizing. Our deepest issues in the church today perhaps lie in the fact that we need to care more for the gospel. More about the salvation and the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. What about these guys, though? I mean, why did they get to be chosen? Why are they inscribed upon foundational stones and glory? I mean, think about that. Why don't I get a foundational stone? You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, the Bible does say in Revelation 3 that if you will hold fast to the end, he says that he will give you a stone with a name upon it that no man knows but him special stone just from the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you why. These men believed a radical message, obeyed that message, and then left everything to follow and to preach that message. Everything. All the way to death. It is believed that every apostle died a martyr's death, perhaps Besides John the Apostle. And our Bible tells us that he was imprisoned, beaten, and banished to an island. And some church historians think that he was dipped in hot oil before he went. What what am I willing to do for the gospel? They were contenders. And it doesn't matter where or what you are in this world... As believers, we all have an obligation to be contenders for the gospel of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then finally, let me say this at the end, commit to God's word. Or I should say, stay committed to God's word. Because he says at the end of the verse, he says, earnestly contend for the faith, which was once, you might support it like this, once for all, delivered unto the saints. The church now has been committed to the task of maintaining, lifting up, proclaiming, and printing the word of God. The Jews for thousands of years, according to Romans 3.2, says that they had been chiefly been given this, that they were committed unto them the oracles of God. The Jews of Israel are not going to carry out the Great Commission, my friend. The Jews of Israel and around this world are not going to keep the words of Jesus Christ in the way that uh, if they remain a Jew and don't come to Jesus Christ. The apostles are gone. They're not coming back. Who has been left the task of the word of God? 
Who has it been committed to? Who has it been entrusted to? That's what the word means, delivered there. The word delivered actually means yielded over to or entrusted. He's saying the gospel, the faith that has been once delivered unto the saints, it's been entrusted to you. It's been delivered unto you. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to stand up for it and teach it no matter what anybody else says? Are you going to proclaim the good news no matter what it might cost you? Are you going to tell your family, friends, your children? Are you going to be parents that raise up or at least work at raising up a godly seed and a godly heritage? The church is losing people left and right. We look on this wicked world and it's getting more wicked by the hour. We don't know the half of what's happening in this world. Nor would I think that any of us would want to know the half. Why is it all happening? We no longer live in a Christian country, but we live in a pagan land. It seems like more and more you see. What is happening? I'll tell you what's happening. You get Christians that don't even know who Peter is. They don't even know who Peter is. Who's Peter? <laughs> he's, he's like the most famous apostle, you know, disciple there is. And if they probably don't know Peter, they probably don't know what he taught or what he preached. Nor do they know the rest of them. And I hope and I pray that one thing that we'd all have a desire to do here tonight as we leave is that we would desire to get back to Acts 2.42 and that we'd continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Keep or guard your salvation. Contend for the faith and stay committed to the word. The word that was so graciously handed down to us from these apostles that God chose in his infinite wisdom and grace. May God give us the wisdom to remember what they said. Father, we're thankful.